Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. Well, this record in particular I brought up because it seemed in close proximity to the time frame when you started being associated with Prince mm -hmm. and so how did you make that connection and uh, we're talking mid to late 90s right yeah <laughs> um it was 1997 Stevie Wonder had these iconic um very big birthday parties every year I don't know if he had one last night I wasn't invited if so <laughs> but um he has these big parties and who's who list is always there. And Prince was there that year. And this one man came and pushed me so hard, I, I stumbled forward. And I looked, I said, oh my God, it was Prince. Little did I know then, that's just something he does. If he sees someone that he's either attracted to or it's like, well, let me mess with that girl. Because I literally, it lifted me like it moved me. That's how hard he pushed me. And he just kept walking with his bodyguard like nothing. And I told my friend, she was also a backup singer for Steve. I said, how rude. I said, what a rude man. And I said, that's that little man. I said, everybody said that he's pompous and he's, and she said, that was so rude. He just kept going. He never even looked back. <laughs> we knew he heard us. <laughs> That was right before the party started. Well, Steve had several of his background singers, about seven of us on stage. He called us all up. Everybody in Wondered Love come up on stage. So we came at different times. We were all working with him. And he started trying to get everybody to write a song with him. Everybody froze like, I'm not going to write a song in front of all these big celebrities. And no. <laughs> so he said, somebody volunteer. Nobody would volunteer. So he picked one girl. She went up the one who says, so rude. She stood up there and froze. And he said, oh, get back there with the rest of the singers. And he said, let's see, who am I going to pick? My stomach started boiling. And I said, please don't pick me. And I'm thinking, please. And he said, Marva, she'll do it. And I'm thinking, no. I'm screaming on the inside. Because I said, I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to stand in front of that crowd. And nobody wanted to. So, But I had to go up because he called me. And I got on the mic, and to this day, unless somebody recorded, I will never know what I did with him. I wrote something with him, and Prince said, when I saw you go up front, he said, that's the girl that was standing in the front. I said, that you shoved. <laughs> he said, and then you start singing, and he said, that's my singer. And he sent his <laughs> he sent his bodyguards up to get me before I could get off the stage. And they said, um, boss want to see you. I said, who's your boss? He said, the artist. I said, what artist? There's so many artists here. He said, the artist. I said, well, all of them going to say they're the artist. <laughs> they were like, 
the artist formerly known, I said, oh, him. And I'm thinking, oh, the rude man that pushed me. And I said, okay. I said, where is he? And they said, well, he's in the back and he sees you. And they started asking me a lot of questions and asked me if I would go and talk with them. I said, sure. So as I'm walking, he calls and said, ask her if she have a bio, ask her if she have pictures, ask her if she have music. And they asked me, I said, yes, of course. Okay, ask her if she can be in Minneapolis two days after this, this was a Tuesday on Thursday. I said, uh, I don't know, I guess. I said, I have to do a show with Katie Lang on television Friday. So if I go Thursday, I would only be able to stay for some hours. Well, I went on Thursday and I didn't get there till Thursday night. He had six songs for me to learn, sing lead and background. And he was off to a show that he was doing with his band at a club. So when he get back, I had done five songs and was starting on the six and the engineer said, yeah, she did them. He said, all five? He said, He's, she's on the sixth one. He said, lead in background? He said, yes. He said, is it good? He said, yeah, I think you're gonna like it. He said, you did that many songs? He said, I said, but you asked me to, right? Because I'm like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> and he said, I expected you to get to maybe two. He said, no, she's fast. And he said, wow. And he was in shock. And so he started pacing and he said, let's go outside and talk. So we went out in the big area, the common area for him and uh, sat down and he said, uh, I thought about working with, uh, with um, New Power Generation. He said, we tour a lot. And I'm thinking, uh, no. At that time, I was working with Lionel. Lionel was paying me almost two grand a day just to do nothing. And I was working with Jeffrey and I was working with Ron Isley. And I'm thinking, I got a lot going on. <laughs> and I was working with Stevie still. And I'm thinking, I can't juggle another one. I just can't do it. And I didn't commit. He said, OK, well, we'll stay in touch. I fly back to L.A. to make the TV show. And then a week later, he asked me to come he said, you want to just come hang out with NPG? I said, hang out? He said, yeah, come to New York. Well, next you know, I'm in Trump Tower. <laughs> and uh, I hung out with him. And Stevie got wind of it. I don't know how. I was just hanging out, literally, because I didn't know any of the show. I didn't know any of the songs. I wasn't a big Prince fan then. I, I just liked some of his songs. But Stevie called and <laughs> he said, I, I, I'm going to come. Where are you? I, I'm going to come visit you. So he came to visit me. We talked, he said, yeah, because I'm getting these endorsements. And he said, if you want, I can get you some. I said, sure, I'll take it. Because I had a little studio set up. I said, yeah, sure, I'll take it. And whatever, whatever you got to offer, I will be happy to receive it. And uh, he said, yeah, so why are you here? And I said, I'm just hanging out. Oh, you just hanging out, huh? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. That was the truth. I wasn't working. I wasn't scheduled to work. And um, he kept asking questions. He said, it's a fancy, fancy hotel. And I said, yeah. He goes out, he leaves. <laughs> and he calls me from the car. I said, guess who I ran into in the lobby? My stomach went, oh no, flip-flop somersault. He said, yeah, ran into Prince. I said, oh God. <laughs> he said, okay. And I said, oh boy, he's not gonna be too happy about that. He wasn't, Steve was really upset. And sure enough, Steve uh, found out, well, he didn't come to the show that night. I went to the show and hung out. I didn't know any of New Power Generation's material. And we went to the after show and Prince called me up to do some stuff with D'Angelo and he and he just had me doing Shaka Khan stuff and who else, Mavis Staples. and all that, it was crazy at Tramps, iconic night that we had. And um, <laughs> after that, I said, you know, I think I can do this. Cause I had never, I mean, the audience screamed so loud at Jones Beach. I literally, they said, you want earplugs? I said, please. Cause my ears were killing me. They were screaming, screaming. I said, how do they deal with this? And uh, I said, I think I want to be a part of this. So. I kind of put all the artists down and start working with Prince because he said, I work a lot. You can't juggle like this. And he was right. 
because if we weren't on the stage rehearsing, we were, you know, in his room at Paisley Park rehearsing. Um, if we weren't doing shows, I mean, we were rehearsing constantly. It was constant. And I said, oh my God, I've never rehearsed this hard in my life. But that's the reason why his bands are so tight. And, you know, Prince is not going up there half-stepping anything. He wanted to be where we're on a psychic, spiritual level. And we really were. You have to be because he may pull anything. You know, the, so, the shows are designed and they're regimented, but if he decides to go to the left, he'll just do it. And you gotta follow him. So you can't miss a cue. You can't miss a movement he makes because you don't know what else is gonna follow it. So I learned a lot about performing when I was with Prince. That was my real introduction to being a live performer. That was it right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's that's no part-time gig if you do anything with Prince. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, nope. How, how long? How long was it uh, after you were into that that you started feeling, you know, comfortable with him, and and that you kind of build up a rapport? Uh, well, the first six months was was intense for me. It was a lot of adjustments. Um, that I had to make. One, that kind of rigorous schedule, those kind of hours of not ever getting enough sleep. Um, screaming fans, like I've never seen, even with Michael, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And it was deafening, literally deafening to hear them scream just nonstop. You know, audiences, because the men would scream just as loud as the women. And that was, it was tough. It was tough to adjust to. Again, I'm a 5 a.m. person. No more of that. You'd be going to bed at 5, 6, and 7 a.m. because there was usually an after show after every concert. And uh, we would leave, we would have our buses and we'd get on and we'd go to the next city uh, in the United States. That's, um, it was continuous, but it was, there was a lot of great things, you know, the impromptu, I mean, like I said, I was learning. And then there were two other girls there and we were cool, but they kind of weren't comfortable with me being there. So I had to adjust to that. And so it, it, was, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. But after the first six months, um, Prince and I, I guess by then I was a part of the family and he started really, really bearing down hard on me, like saying time for the next level. And I'm like, next level of what? <laughs> oh my God. Well, there was another level. That's when it was like, okay, you got to perform for real. And I'm like, but I thought I was. He said, no, you got, you got to do much more. And he would literally come on stage and go all the way up to my face and say more, more, more. And I'm thinking more what? Oh my God, more what? And I have to keep performing while I'm doing it. But I started just getting real creative. He forced me to be really creative. He's not telling me what more of. He's like, you figure it out. You're up here, you figure it out. And uh, then there was this thing that came along where he felt like I'm kind of attracted to her. And that turned into a whole nother thing that was kind of tough for me. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, if I turn him down, is he gonna still want me to work with him? Because I'm, that's, I'm that's after after Maite was out of the picture. They were on, they, yeah, it was yeah, it was yeah. They were having all into that, yeah. Yeah, they were having a tough time then. Um, I, they were having a tough time, but um, but he was such a gentleman about everything. But I said, okay, I think he's attracted to me, and I sure hope that he doesn't try to apply any pressure. He never did that. And I could appreciate that very much, um, but I knew he was attracted. And he said, because of it, he said, every time someone comes up and asks about you, I'll say, nope, she's off limits. And he said, it's a lot of entertainers want to date you. He said, and I run them off. And I said, that's okay. <laughs> I said, it's, it's okay. I didn't want to date at that time. I mean, I was like, I don't have time for anybody. I barely have time for myself at that time seriously <laughs> you know we were working hard 
And um, same thing with all the other band members. Nobody had time. We didn't have much time at all for anything but performance or preparing for a performance or preparing for a rehearsal, you know, learning new material or in the studio recording or it's something to have to do with something called performance. <laughs> so that was our lives, you know. Um, but I can appreciate that because again, you never know to what extent you can push yourself, how far you can go. Um, you know, there's no limitations when you work with an artist like that because he places no limitations on himself. So anybody else around him, you are challenged to do the same thing. And I used to say, I couldn't do this or I, I couldn't be out on the road like that because, you know, I went out with Steve and we were tired just from those two weeks. We were exhausted. Well, from sitting, you know, having to get up and go to the airport or get on a bus, you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. And you still have to perform. You still have to sound check that afternoon. You still have to perform that night. And I said, whoa. And I was really young then. And I said, oh, this is hard. I don't think I could do blah, blah, blah. I got with Prince, I did that. I exceeded anything that I could have expected myself to be able to do. I actually started drinking coffee. <laughs> well, you mentioned, Marva, that, you know, before you met him at that party, that you were sort of a casual fan. Mm -hmm. um, what, how did your perceptions change related to Prince once you were immersed in it? Well, Again, like I told him once, I said I was never a fan. I loved some of the songs he did, especially that first album. Loved it. And I loved Purple Rain, everything with Purple Rain, you know, all the acts he had, whether it was The Time or Vanity Six or Apollonius. I loved all that music. But once I started working with him and got into the matrix of Prince and just saw how he just how he thought, his, his thought process, his creativity, his uh, limitless thinking. And like I said, just even on stage, the creativity that he would come up with, um, or we in the studio and you wanna do a photo shoot or whatever, everything was, a lot of things were last minute thought process and he would just go for it. And I said, wow, this man really trusts himself. I said, he have a lot of faith. I said, he's fearless. And that made me say, you know, when I've been that way, people always discourage me and they did. And so I would try to conform, but I learned from him, just do what you think. Nobody else is you, but you. They don't have to get it. They don't have to understand. He said, don't let them tell you no. Cause I used to ask him questions later on and we start talking a lot more. I said, did people try to tell you not to do styles of music or mixed styles? And he said, yes. I said, but you did it anyway. He said, yeah, because this is my music. He said, they didn't create it. And if I create these, I do what I want. So I said, wow. So that really, really validated. Let me do that. Because I was discouraged and I stopped and people say, you're, you're problematic. You're, you're a problem. <laughs> and I started thinking, wow, I am. I'm a problem. I won't do what the other people do. I got these ideas. I said, but then why do I have them? Then I'd ask myself, but yet I would do whatever to conform. He, he taught all of us, any, anybody that was in Prince's camp, we all walked away with a lot of goodies. <laughs> we all learned a lot because that was such an unusual human being on planet earth. And so much so that <laughs> the poor staff that worked with them, they started thinking, that he really wasn't human. They honestly felt he was not a human. They said, that's not a human being. So when they got close enough to me after almost two years, they said, we think you're ready now. I said, for what? They took me back in this room <laughs> at Paisley and they start pulling out all kinds of things like a blow up of Prince. <laughs> and <laughs> they started talking and said, you know, you know, he's not human, right? And I'm looking at all of them like, are they serious? And I said, he's not human. They said, no, think about it. Look at the shape of his eyes, the shape of his head, the size of his body. They said he never sleeps. Nobody ever sees him eating. He said, Marvin, he's an alien. And I looked 
And I'm thinking to myself, this is what you guys probably did. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. I started laughing so hard that they looked at me. They said, no, no, think about it. Think about it. And I just kind of <laughs> put my head down. I said, okay, I'll think about it. But I'm like, my God, he's a human. He's an unusual human. I, I agree. I agree. If he's but, an alien, take me to that planet. That's what I say. <laughs> I laugh. And I said, but they're the funny part. I said, they're really serious. So I stopped laughing. I said, they are serious. I said, wow, that's deep. That's really deep. <laughs> but I get it. You know, he was he's the most unusual human being I have ever encountered. And I've encountered a lot. Of but yeah. And he didn't eat very much. And he slept very little but he used to always tell me sleep when you're dead Marva." that's what he always say to me because i would say i'm sleepy i gotta get my sleep he said you're sleep when you're dead live your life he said do things and i said i will but i need a nap <laughs> so wow the yeah. first the first the first record that you were actually on was it the new power soul yes well actually it wasn't we worked on, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Was I on the Chaka? No, no, no. We did some other things independent before New Power Soul. That was the first one that came out commercially. But he that's when he was really introducing that whole independent release your record thing to the world. And so I was on some of those projects and uh, really interesting music. Some of it we recorded live. Some of it we recorded in studios and I'd have to go through, I have a whole collection of things that I put away and they're in my storage. I keep them hidden in one of my storage spaces. All the stuff that I did with Prince. But so that's yeah. some of the stuff that he put out through the MPG Music Club? Some of it, some of it, yeah. Some of it, cause he was dropping stuff like crazy around that time independently. Yeah. Uh, but New Power Soul was the first one that we actually did a photo shoot and, you know, did videos and all that stuff. He, he prepared. He, oh, I'm so sorry. He prepared it. So, yeah. And, and you also uh, worked with Shaka on that one, too? Yes, of course. And was had you had you met her before? Or? Um. I met Shaka before that? No. I'm trying to think. Had I, had I, had I? No, not formally. Not formally. So was that a big deal for you? I mean, is that someone that you had also looked up to? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. She's my favorite, so. Yes. I wanted to be Shaka. <laughs> Matter of fact, in that talent show that I won, I sang a Shaka song. I sang a Shaka song and a Minnie Richardson song. Those were my two favorite artists when I was in school. And uh, yeah, so I was a big Shaka fan. And uh, she wasn't that big of a Marva fan at first. Because <laughs> uh, Prince had in mind how he wanted her to dress. And, you know, I was real thin. I was like a size zero, size two. You know, and Shaka then, she had gained a lot of weight then, but she still wanted to wear her sexy, voluptuous stuff. And Prince was like, no, I want you to look more classy. And he would put clothes on her, beautiful stuff. And uh, she came to embrace it. But um, she would get kind of frustrated with seeing me with the little short, tight dresses. And she would make comments and stuff. And I would just laugh it off. And I'm thinking, wow, this is my idol. And she's just picking on me. She's picking on me. <laughs> And then one day, she and Prince had a big fight at the after show, and Prince called me, and she used to say, you can't sing, you, you can't sing, because he wouldn't put me in a lot of positions to do solos during the shows, and uh, he would let Shaka, you know, have her shine, he, he was like that, uh, whoever's supposed to be featured, he'd try to make sure somebody else doesn't upstage them or whatever, or be looked at as competition, but this one night, I guess, because he was angry with her, he called me. Uh, and he said, uh, Marva, um, I want you to do You Got the Love. And I said, okay. And it was like a couple thousand people in the audience 
at this after show and Shaka was on the drums. He couldn't get her off the drums. She just kept beating the drums. And they were like, gosh, we can't get her to come up front. Prince was clever. He was like, this will get her off the drums. So I started singing, You Got the Love. The fans went crazy. Shaka got up off those drums <laughs> and was at the long end of the stage and stared like, is that coming out of that little girl that I've been telling she can't sing? She can she say, you are no singing. You're at no singing. And I used to just go, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, 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 you don't. You don't sing. You don't really sing. You're just cute. And I said to myself, okay, if she say so. But she staggered all the way, like looked like John Wayne staggering all the way to down the stage with, in disbelief with her head to the side. And she got up to me and I said, ladies and gentlemen, the legend herself. And they all went crazy. And she took a microphone and started singing. And she said, okay, all right, you take the high note. And I took the high note. Then she said, okay, take it down a third. She was testing me to see, can she really, does she really have skills? I did it. And she started going, wait a minute. So we sang and Prince was so thrilled because he was mischievous. She was so mad at him. He was like, now, now you see Margaret can really sing. And <laughs> I gave her all her props. But the next day, she saw me, she said, you are singing MF. <laughs> and I said- I praise right there. <laughs> I said, I said, so I'm not a no singer. She said, oh no. She said, I, I hadn't heard you sing. She said, no, you can sing your ASS off. She said, okay. So from that point on, every time anybody would talk about me in the industry, she said, oh, that's a singing MF. And they all would tell me, they said, Shaka said, you can sing. I said, that is so hilarious. And I always tell them, I said, there's a whole story behind that. <laughs> had to earn it, but man. That's <laughs> yeah, I had to earn that one. I praise. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so who's, who's more of a prankster, Prince or Michael? Oh, Michael, without question. Okay. Prince is a prankster, but nah, he can't compete. I don't know anybody that, I don't know anybody. I'm trying to think of who. They're comedians. I know a lot of comedians that have gone on to become very big. A lot of them are pranksters, but Michael got any entertainer that I know beat with that. I mean, he lived to prank. <laughs> he lives to prank. I saw Janet Jackson on a television show yesterday and she was talking about Michael pranking her. Um, but many people got prankster stories. If they got close enough to them, oh, you're going to get pranked. <laughs> and you're probably not going to like it either, but you're going to get pranked. <laughs> he used to get me in so much trouble. I got yelled at so many times. I said, oh my God. And he was clever. And then I started getting clever too. I said, I got to watch it. I said, because he's going to ruin relationships for me. They're like, why would she do this stuff? What's wrong with this girl? It was Michael. <laughs> he ran a, a press guy out of the room. We were at Tavern on the Green in New York City and about to do um, an interview. And it was just Michael, supposedly, they were gonna interview first. Michael hid behind the sofa and told me, hi, you hide too. And he said, grab some grapes. And I'm thinking, oh, we're gonna sit back and munch? Well, okay. And I'm just doing what he said, like a little puppet. So I go behind there, he grabbed all kinds of fruit, banana, grapes, uh, apples. And this guy comes in, he looked real nerdy, had his glasses on, had his little slate and pen. And he said, hello, Mr. Jackson. He's looking around, it's a huge room, Mr. Jackson. And then he turned, looked one way, Michael threw a piece of grape. And the guy looked like, wow, did he, uh, hello? Hello, and then he started turning around like is somebody behind me? Oh, Michael threw an apple. He missed him, but he, he started throwing the guy. The poor guy started looking like, what the heck is really going on? Next thing you know, he said, bombard him. So both of us start throwing. So he had a bunch of fruit <laughs> coming at him. He we ran him out of the room. He ran out of the room. <laughs> he runs out of the room. And Michael laughed so hard. I said, that is so funny to him. I said, but he was supposed to interview you. He didn't care. He was like, I don't care if he never comes back because it was a line of press that wanted to interview. 
oh my God, he didn't even care. He was laughing so hard. Big, big kid. Big kid. He turned red and he was holding his stomach. <laughs> and I got up and I said, okay. <laughs> and that day was the biggest trouble he got me into because then he started throwing things at other people. Yeah, I didn't go too well. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Um, um, so what were some of the other, you know, you were with uh, Prince Camp for quite a while. Um, what are some of the other like top memories that you have from that period? Um, well, the travel, the fans, um, the European fans, especially. And I also started learning my value as a solo artist while I was in Europe. If I had gone, cause I had gone over with Stevie before. I had gone to other countries with other artists like Jeffrey Osborne, but it wasn't until I worked with Prince that I found out that I had a lot of fans. And they were like, why would you never come over here? And I said, I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I had so much support. They were like, people always wondered, how could she never come over? So they deemed me a rare grooves artist in London. And they said, that's why you're a rare grooves artist because those artists who end up having hit records and they never come, they said, we call them rare grooves because we didn't have access to them. And the labels would usually limit the um, amount of product they would send after a while because either the artists were dropped from the label or the artists had left the labels or whatever, or they put them on suspension or whatever happened. But they said, we never got to see you guys live. So there's like a lot of artists that they're called rare grooves. So that was, um, yeah. So anyway, so I learned that you know, there's a lot of fans over there. They, they love Prince, of course, and they love the fact that I was with Prince, but it really helped me to start my pioneering as a performing artist over in Europe. So that was the great thing that came out of it because I was thinking about it. And I said, wow, when I went over with Stevie, I had no idea. I had no idea that, I, I don't know how I missed this then, <laughs> you know, but I don't know, something about going over there with him, I discovered that there's fan base everywhere for me. So I go there and I work quite a bit in Europe now and I love it, you know, because they still love old school. They love R&B, the youngsters. I mean, the millennials, the Generation Z, all of them. I mean, they're seriously into R&B, soul, all of right. that. They love it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, God bless them. Yeah. Yes. Um, what, um, what, was there ever any talk or interest in being sort of, you know, one of the Prince protégés, you know, and having him really completely oversee a solo record or, um, he, um, he started an album. Matter of fact, when we, when I committed to working with New Power Generation, he started an album on me. He started an album on me and it was it's kind of the same thing as Richard Perry. I said, we didn't get as far <laughs> because halfway through, I realized I'm like, okay, he's doing a lot of rock and roll. It was like pop rock hmm. and that's fine. But I was like, this is so not me. This is not Marva. I thought we were going to be funky, soulful because I mean, Prince can do it all, but that's the direction. Those are the songs that he chose and they're in his vault now. I saw copies of them. Um, they printed out all the songs supposedly that were in the vault um, for his celebration of life that they had at Paisley Park um, that fall after his passing. And I have a copy of it and I said, wow, those are the songs that I cut there, they're in the vault as well. But I didn't finish the album because I said, I'm not feeling it. And he said, you're not? I said, no. And we started going on the road so much. And he said, Marvin, you got access to the studio. And he said, you can fly here anytime. So why don't you just finish the album? And I'm thinking, cause half of it is rock. And I didn't want to say, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and not only that, when would I have found the time? <laughs> I 
I didn't have time to do anything, you know. So um, that's that's uh, that's what would happen. But you know, he's really great in the studio. He's really a hard nose when it comes to live performance. Prince is no joke. Everybody will tell you that's the taskman. That's the sergeant of arms. <laughs> it's like, oh, you gotta walk a chalk line when it comes to live performance with him. But in the studio, there's a whole different person. There's a whole different man that was very kind, very extending. Um, he was provocative in the way that he could get the best out of you. You know, he he had this very gentle nature in, in the studio, just a totally different person that just, you know, it made he made you very comfortable, very, very comfortable in the studio. And um, I like that person because I didn't feel under pressure with him in the studio like I did on stage. Um, and I loved it. I loved being on stage. I got, I became very comfortable and started doing my own things on there, but, um, it's just another person. And, uh, I just said, wow, I can appreciate that's just a whole nother side to him. And if people didn't experience that with them, they would never know that side exists. Yeah. And, and the same thing with people who were very close to him. If he liked you enough to have you in his company on his free time, you saw a whole different man. And he was very, very sweet, very extending, uh, actually downright subservient to his friends. That's how he is. I mean, that's how he was. You know, he would love to serve us. Like he would run around and make sure, do you want anything else to drink? Or can I get you this? Or would you like this? And he just got a thrill out of doing that for his company. He was a real humble servant. When it can, I said, wow, nobody would ever know this man that walks around with a pimp cane, you know, and his hair all slicked back and that there's a whole different man that the rest of the world didn't get to see, you know, except those of us, the choice few of us that got to see that. And, you know, so I admired him and I loved him dearly, you know. <laughs> what, and you got to know him, you know, around the time or right after where he started really changing philosophically with his religious beliefs and those kinds of things. So I'm sure you saw, you know, a very different person probably than some others felt about him, you know, earlier in his career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, he changed. And then one of the members, Morris Hayes, Morris had been with him since you know, Purple Rain days, kind of, you know, since right after that. And uh, so Morris knew him the longest of all of us. Well, he was around him the longest, I should say. But Morris had stories and he morphed. They all said he changed gradually for the better um, because they said, you think you're working hard now. They said, you should have been around then. I said, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> And everybody knows me, I'm a hardworking person, but that was, whoa, my years, years went by so fast. What do you think is the most amazing thing musically you ever saw him do? Hmm, most amazing thing musically. Hmm. Uh, Wow, that's a hard question because my mind now is flashing all these different scenes. Uh, it's so many amazing things that he did, man. Gosh. Something that maybe just made your jaw drop at the time. You know what he used to do? It was kind of on a regular basis. He would be playing his guitar and he would run in his high heels, jump up on the piano stool. I mean, all in step, 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 and up on top of the piano and play the guitar on top of the piano. And I just was amazed that he could do that so often. I mean, it was like a gazelle or something. And that used to just make me go, wow, this is crazy. This man is light on his feet. I said, he has a guitar in his hand and he's jumping like that. And that was amazing to me. 
and things like getting up on six foot monitors, which he had me to do one time. Oh my God, I almost broke my neck. <laughs> he said, just follow me. Whatever I do, you do. And I'm thinking, oh God. You know, I, I just had Jerry Martini on and he was telling me about playing at, um, in the late nineties with Larry Graham and Prince and all yeah. that and how Prince had him get up on the piano to do a sax solo. And he was just freaked out about it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. You never know what he's going to say. You would never know what he's going to do. So that's why you're always, you're alert. You have to be very attentive. Yeah. So you won't miss your cue and get fined. <laughs> And and, all, well, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, well, of his enormous wealth of talents, is there any particular facet of that that you think was his greatest gift? Uh, his ability to reinvent himself, number one, whether it's styles of music, styles of fashion, um, Oh gosh, Prince had so many gifts. He had so, so many gifts. But I, I think those were the main things that I, I saw that always kept him relevant in some regard or the other with his fans um, to always make a change. And it's some kind of way always come out right. You know, I didn't like every single style I saw him have, but of course now everybody embraces everything about him that's ever appreciated him. And, um, but he definitely knew how to kept his, keep himself relevant, which taught me a lesson too. It's like, you gotta change. You can't just stay stuck in, you know, you can't knock the artists who like, who stayed in certain areas. Like Elvis to me was always Elvis. You know, he wore the same kind of clothes or he, same kind of moves or whatever. But Prince, gone from one spectrum to the other with style, fashion, music, and all that. And that's great. And then just the fact that he helped revolutionize the whole industry with independence and, you know, self-reliance and, you know, things like that and selling things through the internet. I was there, you know, when he started that and watched the attacks that were launched on him at shows press would attack him. I think the labels would send people sometimes to attack him because where do, where does these people come from? And they're in the audience yelling things out and I'm going, whoa, disrupting the shows because they were very upset that he was making a change and turn. And they figured all these other artists coming along, they're gonna start following him. And of course we all did. <laughs> and such is the industry right now, but he was one of the first. So I'm honored to say I was in the documentary how Prince revolutionized the music industry. I didn't know I was gonna be in it. I filmed that in Germany. I thought it was Margaret King with uh, MTV Germany, but it ended up being a part of his documentary. But I talked about that and um, he made some milestone changes. You know, Michael did what he did as an artist that was incredible with ownership and things like that. But Prince did something that who knows where, when it'll change from this. But right now, this is how people sell records, how artists sell records independently. And some of them are going to major labels, but major labels aren't required to put music out anymore. And work. <laughs> you, you know, um, when he left us in 2016, I can't believe it's been five years. You know, that's incredible. but. But um, I felt like I lost a brother. Um, yeah. You know, that's how I felt about him. But um, I was stunned. I don't know how you feel about it. At the outpouring globally at that time, you know, that the world showed so much love um, mm. and loss. You know, I just didn't realize that so many others felt that much about him, you know, and that was just so gratifying. That was it was actually shocking to see. I ended up performing at Nassau, um, which was a big honor a couple years ago. And Nassau shot out the color purple into space. That was amazing when he passed away. I mean, all the cities that had purple lights 
you know, permanently lit up during the time of his pay. It, it was overwhelming, to be honest with you. It was overwhelming to see the outpour of love across the world. It's like, wow, that's one man, one music artist, this much love. And even the fans, they follow me now. We call them fam now, we don't call them fans. But the Purple Families, they won't let him die. They won't let him die. They keep him alive every second of the day. And for, unfortunately, he left so much music also to, to keep that alive. So, right. yeah. Um, so you got back to your solo career in the early 2000s, right? Like, oh, four was it? Oh, four. I started, but well, about oh, oh, yeah, around oh, four. Yes, that was oh, four. Right. Okay. And my so, my light of day, my light of day CD. You had renewed confidence. You had all this, you know, stuff you picked up from being, you know, the Prince Army, if you will, and yes. um, came back with a vengeance. And ever since then, you've been really active with your solo career. So, um, you know, what what did you want to accomplish when you set back out on it, you know, in the early 2000s? What did you want to carve out in terms of your, you know, image and your your sound and, you know, what did you want to do? Um, release music <laughs> that I had written and produced and show the multitude of styles based on my conversation with Prince of don't let anyone tell you what genre you belong in. <laughs> and so that was my first project that I said, okay, I'm just going to do me. And I would do whatever I think. Now it was controversial because some people who knew the old school Marvel from Richard Perry days, they were highly upset. A lot of radio stations, especially Europeans, they were like, what is she doing? She's mixing all these different styles. And then some people who love the newer music I was doing, they was like, well, what's that old vibe that she got there too? I kind of had things meshed together. Um, but I appreciate that project still because I'm like, that's who I am. Light this of day, crazy. light of day. I want people to know that was the record. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. And thank was the title because you felt like after 20 something years, you were finally seeing the light of day with another yeah. solo record? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. And yep, that's why I titled it Light of Day. And then, um, yeah, that's that's how I felt. The light of day has shone on me. And, uh, and I felt like I was in a new light. Liberated in, to I some extent. Liberated. I, I should be. Yeah, it was my freedom to express who I am, truly, with no confines and no control. <laughs> and, and I know we're jumping back a little bit, but I, I had not mentioned you know, your writing credit with the whispers hit in, in 1990, you know, how did, how did that come to be? And oh, such a big hit. It was a big hit. I um, Robert Brookins was the musician and producer for that project. He was working on tracks for the whispers and last minute I get a call and he said, Marva, uh, can you write some lyrics to this song? And I said, what song? And he played it and he, he sent it to me and I said, Okay, when do you need it? He said, in about 45 minutes. I said, you're kidding me. Oh, I'm so mad at Robert. He said, please, they're on their way to the studio and I don't have anything. I told him I had something. So I ended up recording, writing really quick. As a matter of fact, I was writing lyrics on the way to the studio. And by the time I got to the studio, he came and grabbed me. He said, okay, you got something? I said, yeah. And I sang it to him real quick. He said, okay, that's got to work. And they walked in too. So it was just perfect timing and uh we ended up getting it on the project and you know I looked and it started going up the charts and said huh are you kidding I said that's the fastest song I've ever written that's crazy <laughs> I just I had the Scott brothers on recently and you know I was talking about how they kept relevant for so long even to the 90s and you know you were a big part of that so wow that's great yeah that's yeah yeah but also i wanted to stress you know that you also compose and you produce and you do so many other things besides just your vocals so and that really shines on your solo work right right yeah i write um i cut tracks 
um, now. I started really doing a lot of tracks starting in the late 90s, and I carried that over until now to date. You know, I um, I really like, and I get into different genres of music. Um, I like, I get into Afro beats. I get into soul, I get into funk, I get into jazz. I mean, I just kind of do whatever I want, just whatever comes to me. And um, I got some new stuff that's coming as well that, you know, expresses some of the multiple styles that I embrace and have been embracing throughout my life. I want to uh, mention a few favorites of mine um, since I have you. Um, the one, that EP, I really like some of the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Every, every night. And, um, if you say so, those are hot tracks. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I have some more new music coming out with, um, Nam co-wrote, if you say so with me, he did the music. He's from France. He's a jazz guitarist. I don't know if you know of him. And, um, every night, uh, that was, what made Unam want to work with me. <laughs> he said he would hear it over in Paris and he just said, I fell in love with that record and uh, started working with him uh, shortly after. So we got some new stuff coming out this summer as well. Um, and uh, the one, I wrote that with another artist named Stone Paxton. And yeah, so we, you know, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting project. I just kind of compiled some songs that I did and, and put it out as an EP. Yeah. Kind of a in-between project. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, Solicious, uh, Jesse Johnson doing that track. I mean, of course, super funky oh, yeah. and it's got his guitar in there and just love that. Yeah. Super Bubblicious. Yeah, that was hot. That's a hot yeah, Jesse's a bad, bad, bad boy. <laughs> Yeah, I cut several songs with him, but um, he said, okay, after we cut them, he said, I'll let you have three of them. And I ended up taking two. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if he'll ever do anything with those other songs, but it's some crazy stuff we did. Did, did you get to know, when did you get to know Jesse? When did you first meet him? I met Jesse at BET. We both were on BET way back in the 80s with Donnie Simpson. And he asked me to sing Being Black in America. I don't know if you saw it as a video because it's on YouTube now. Oh my God, that's when I was all shy. And, oh my goodness. And he, on a commercial break, he said, I need you to sing some female vocals. Can you do it? And I said, well, let me hear it. And uh, he told me the lyrics real quick and I just did it with them on stage. So that was crazy. That's when we met. And then we ended up hanging out with each other right after that interview. Um, at this party for these kids and all that and we talked but we didn't get to know each other until years later and he said you know I think you Rosie and um, Judith Hill he said y'all my favorite female singers that work with Prince and he said what's up with Rosie and I said well I said she's having a few health challenges right now and I said but Judith is around and he said really I said yeah so he said I would love to do stuff on you and I love to do stuff on Judith. He said, I don't want to work with anybody else. And I said, okay. I said, let me check with Judith. And at that time, she was working on something and she said she couldn't. And uh, he was really upset too because he really wanted her to do some music with him. But we got to know each other quite well because he said, what I want you to do is come and just stay at my house. And he said, and we're just going to record. We roll out of the bed recording. So I stayed there and course me being Marva I'm cooking for he and his girlfriend half the time I'm there <laughs> and they they appreciated that and um we um we recorded we just recorded like about five or six songs yeah but again you know a couple of them got on the projects I had uh, Sue Ann Carwell on not too long ago so we were talking quite a bit about Jesse she's worked a lot with him Oh yeah, they're they're really good friends. Yeah, they've yeah. been friends for many years. I think she said she brought Jesse to France or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but how was the reception for you know tracks like that and some of the other you know really outstanding ones you've had on your records? You know, have have they gotten to where you'd like to see them get? You know, and and how is that? Well, here's the thing. Um, sorry, I, I cut you. I, I think I know where you're going with it. Super Bubble Edges, that's a genre. 
that's a genre and that's that's a certain audience that would listen to a song like that because it's provocative it's very provocative and some people are like mm, I don't know if I like you doing that kind of music and I said but that's called to me like 70s funk make me think of Betty Davis and people like that you know it's a little raunchy but I liked it you know and like Prince had this song for me called Playtime that he had recorded previously and Playtime is very provocative, and uh, that was the one, that was one that I liked that he actually cut on me, and um, you know I can appreciate it for what it is and what it was, and um, yeah, it's for a certain audience. It's not a mainstream type of. I mean, it could be with the lyrics now. You hear how lyrics are now, <laughs> lyrical content. It would fit right in, but it's also funk, you know, and most radio is not funk based in the United States, especially anymore. You know, it's just, they call it the new style of R&B or whatever, uh, trap and all this stuff combined. But yeah, but that's one, you know, I didn't put a lot of promotional dollars behind it, but um, it was, you know, it's appreciated by the fans. I'll tell you this, the Prince fans loved it. Yeah, and you got the video too. <laughs> you did do a video on it also. So. Super bubblicious. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not crazy about the video. That's why mm -hmm. I didn't push it. Yeah, I kind of pulled back and I just said, okay, I'll, I'll put this in another project. But um, yeah. And these records are on your own imprint, right? So, yep. oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so you're a businesswoman too, and you, you picked up some of those, uh, you know, skills from, from Prince too. Some from Prince, some of them I had before I got with Prince, <laughs> as he learned as well. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I did. I mean, I picked up things from all kinds of business associates, um, some of the artists that I would watch do business, you know, and handle their business or their management. I always get to know people in business affairs and management. So I kind of know about contracts and, you know, those kind of things, very important ownership mm -hmm. and protecting yourself and all that kind of stuff. I think you probably picked up the first one maybe when you got out of that deal from being too young to sign back in. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of set the tone, I think, for you being ahead of the game as far mm -hmm. as that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the latest record is that part, right? That's the latest album from 2019? That was, well, that part was the last one. And then before I could really get my grips into promoting it good, then we have pandemic. So I kind of pulled back and said, I was gonna, well, we were thinking it was gonna first be a few weeks, then we thought a couple months and then the time just kept passing. And so I went back in and I've been recording ever since. So I got new projects uh, coming out, new music coming out now. Well, I look forward to that. Are we gonna see it in 2021? Oh yeah, this is in twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, excellent, excellent. Oh yeah, that's uh, really good stuff. But I don't want viewers or listeners to sleep on some of the uh, great songs on this record either. Um, <laughs> that part there, really funky and very <laughs> Prince influenced. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Cosmic Girl, very sleek and funky, and love hearing the real instrumentation. You know, the bass uh, and just the music is great, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mellow Danger, really nice ballad, kind of hypnotic. Yeah, make you think of an Earth, Wind, and Fire type thing or something from, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sexy, uh, getting back to, uh, you know, that type of, a <laughs> um, little bit of New Jack Swing vibe kind of going through it. Um, but like you said, so much variety. And, you know, if you like the old school funk, you're going to find something. If you like the ballads, you're going to find something. If you like something that's a little more current, you're going to find it. So you're definitely touching all the bases. Thank you. Yeah. I enjoy it, yeah. So that's what everything now is a piece of art to me, I call it. Uh, it's art. So I enjoy recording because there are no confines. And that's what Prince encouraged. Independence, you know, find your own place with creativity and express who you are because you're an individual and there's nobody like you. So there's always somebody that's going to appreciate one aspect or the other of what you do. And he said, just do you. That's how you win. And I said, yep, you're right. 
He said, even if you sell one copy, he said, you've expressed yourself in your own fashion. Nobody told you how to do it, what to do it, and when to do it. And I said, okay. Also, if you get fans or followers in doing that, mm-hmm. they're probably going to be the ones that are very loyal. Yep. You're and right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so you've also done some uh, acting and... I mean, you're so multifaceted, it's hard to cover it all, but I did want to mention that because uh, you were in Diary of a Mad Black Woman, right? Yes. yes. And uh, sure. h- how did you connect with, uh, with him? One person who used to work for Prince, who used to handle the box, we ran into each other in an airport in Las Vegas. And he said, I got something for you. And we were both like passing ships. We were headed different terminals. He calls me days later. I'm thinking, got something to do with either a record deal or, and he said, a play. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. And he said, but you'd be the lead. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. And I hid for weeks and he blocked his number and called and caught me. <laughs> and we talked and he said, this role is for you. He said, it was Millie Jackson starring in it. And he said, and she's not going to do it. And there's several other people that want to do it. And they said, but they're holding the road for you. It's meant for you. So the next day I got on the plane, flew to Atlanta, met Tyler, and the rest is history. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was also another thing that was like amazing to get out there with audiences and do impromptu, make, uh, you know, just create comedy on stage. You know, we had a script, of course, but just to improv was just like amazing. And to just hear it now and even see where Tyler's used it in other productions that he had, some of the improv that I created, I said, wow. So, cause I've always thought of myself being funny and comedic. And I hang around a lot of comedians and I've helped encourage a lot of comedians, you know, when they moved to California, cause I always loved comedy. So, you know, so that's what I got a chance to display and test my skills there. <laughs> Yeah, well, you certainly excelled. So, yeah, <laughs> wow, that's a long ways from that shy girl in Flint, Michigan. That's a long ways from that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. If someone sees a Marva King show this year, let's say, what type of material should they expect? Well, they're going to see a multitude of styles. Some things I do R&B, funk, soul, you know, combined, they have a little rock in there. But then there's some shows that I do that are jazzy and R&B, smooth, smooth R&B and some jazzy stuff. So that's where that's where I am currently. <laughs> but how much of it is, you know, attracts from your solo records versus cover tunes versus maybe any print stuff? Or um, When I do my shows, I kind of mix it up. I do my original music and then I may do some print songs or, you know. I kind of mix, I always do some cover tunes in there because there's songs that I love that people recorded in the past, but I always do my originals as well. So, so um, Marva, how can people keep up with what you have going on? And when you have the new music, how can they find it? Okay, well, you know, it'll be on all the platforms. It'll be on all the cyber platforms. So I'd say sometime in June, July, you'll start seeing the music up. And um, you can find me on social media, of course, Marva Queen King, Instagram, Marva.King.90 on Facebook or official Marva King on Facebook and um, Marva Kane, K-A-N-G <laughs> on uh, Twitter. So, yeah, all my platforms are named different. They have their own personalities. <laughs> The many sides. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's been such a delight talking to you and hearing all your stories Thank and you. Uh, so much fun uh, going through your amazing career with you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I enjoy speaking with you as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude 
to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.